The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. Well, as always, a very, very interesting week in technology. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is trying to launch his metaverse. He's losing a boatload of money. He's probably put $500 billion in that thing, and people are questioning whether Mark's going to be able to pull it off. We'll give an update on Mark's metaverse. The AirTag stocking problem, this is the Apple AirTag, is still a problem. Uh, Linux, they, uh, it turns out that Google Project Zero looked at the time it takes to patch security holes in software, and Linux is the fastest patch time on the planet. I'll give all the other patch times in that report. And there was a billionaire a crypto couple. They had embezzled something like $4.6 billion worth of crypto. They were caught with a gift card. We'll sort of go through that in a bit. This week, we are going to feature David Bazuki. He's the man who created the game Roblox, which is another metaverse. And they've got like 146 million monthly users. And they've got like 41 million daily users. And on their site, they've got over 20 million games made by the users. It's the biggest metaverse out there. And I'm telling you, I didn't know much about it because there are mostly mostly 13-year-old kids on it. And I just had not really looked at it. So now I made an account and I'm an official Roblox member. And I'll talk about that and how David developed it. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Got an email from Karen in Virginia Beach. Dear Doc and Andrew, I tried to send a PDF file to a production company to produce a booklet. The PDF file was rejected because the fonts were not embedded. Now, I created the document with Microsoft Word and saved the file as a PDF. How can I embed fonts into this file now? I don't, I don't even know what it means or how to do it. Karen in Virginia Beach. Well, Karen, uh, Microsoft Word does not embed the fonts either into their documents, which they call DocX extension, or PDF files by default. Now, the reason they do that, it keeps the file smaller because you can just save it without embedding all those fonts. And if you're going to print it from the same computer, why, why have all these big files storing copies of fonts over and over and over again? But... If you want to print the file from a computer that did not create them, that target computer may not have all the fonts installed on their system that you have. So if you want the document to print correctly and not substitute fonts, 
that may not that that would you know change the formatting. You want to embed the fonts with it. Now it's very easy to do. You, you do that at the time you save the file. So in the case of PDF files, what you want to do, you do you click Save As in Microsoft Word, and that will bring up a uh, a screen, a save screen, where you can pick your uh, you know the directory you want to save. And below the uh, the directory selection box, you can uh, select the file type. You want, it's a drop-down menu, so you want to select the PDF as the file type. And then once you click PDF as the file type, there will be a settings button that you'll see on the down in the lower part of the window. Click on the settings button, and there's one option there called ISO 19005-1PDF-A. Click that. That is the PDF standard that includes embedded fonts. And then you click save. Your fonts are now embedded in the PDF. You just have to select it. And by default, the ISO 19005-1 box is not selected. Now, once you select it, it will continue to save with embedded fonts until you change it back. Now, you can also embed fonts in just a regular document file. Has the same thing, just select Save As within Microsoft Word. Then you select the file type, document file, which would be DocX. Then you'll, then you'll see a Tools button. Click on Tools at the bottom. And then, uh, then, uh, then you'll see there will be a, uh, a line there that, that where, you can, where you can say Embed the Fonts. And you just click Embed, you, just, uh, you check Embed the Fonts in the file. You also uncheck the line that says, do not embed common system files. Uncheck that. So you're embedding all the fonts. And now you save it, and now all the fonts are embedded in your document file going forward. And it will remember that. Uh, but if you're sending it to a, a production company, they always want you to send the fonts to make certain it formats as you wish. We got an email from Dennis in Maryland. Dear Tech Talk, I do not like to be tracked while I'm on the internet. How can I hide my IP address while surfing the web? Dennis in Maryland. Yeah, Dennis, you probably heard about that crypto couple that just got arrested. They were tracking their IP address. So I can see why you may, may want to just keep that a little bit of a secret. Well, uh, because what happens is that anytime you do anything on the internet, your IP address, which is the address, the external IP address on your on your home system, has been assigned by the uh, by the uh, by the your uh, internet service provider, and they they assign that IP address to you. So anybody communicates with you, they send it back to that IP address, and then it comes to your house. Many of these sites log these IP addresses, effectively spying on you. Uh, maybe to deliver more personalized ads, they say, "Oh, you like to you like to look at uh, you know uh, you were looking at baby goods, baby clothes." So then they say, "Okay, that IP address has got babies there," so they start sending you baby ads. Now, one of the big reasons that people like to hide their IP addresses so they can download illegal material without being tracked, you know, like uh, you know, like MP3 songs from a uh, you know, from a, um, you know, from a peer-to-peer -peer download site. Uh, or it could be geographic restrictions and censorship. Like when I would travel to India, I'm not allowed to watch Netflix because it's blocked in India. But I could set up, uh, but then I could, 
use a VPN and I could get a, a US IP address and then I could watch my Netflix movie in India. Um, some content's blocked by the government, such as in China or the Middle East, because they, uh, they don't want you to see it. Like in China, Wikipedia is blocked. So there are, um, there are various reasons that people would like to hide their IP address. Okay, there are two primary ways you can hide your internet, your internet protocol address, your IP address. By the way, the IP address for version 4 of internet protocol is 32 bits. And a bit is a zero or one, so it's 32 zeros or ones. Uh, that's your IP address at four, v, version 4, IPv6, the next version of Internet Protocol coming out. The IP address is 128 bits. Um, so a virtual private network is an encrypted data stream through a proxy server. So you go to this proxy server, you go to this virtual VPN, and you set up an encrypted data stream to a, another server. And that server makes the request on your behalf. So if you want to go look at baby products, that virtual that that proxy server puts in the uh, puts in the request to go to baby products. Baby product website records the IP address of the proxy server, not your IP address. Then they send the data to the proxy server. The proxy server forwards the data through the encrypted data stream to your to your location and bingo, you've got it. And then the baby product site does not know that you're looking for baby products. Uh, so uh, then when you browse the web connected to a VPN, your computer contacts us either through the encrypted VPN connections. So, so it's, uh, it, it's a very good way to, now I use, uh, I, I like to use ExpressVPN. That's been my VPN of choice for years and years and years and years. Uh, I, it's about $99 a month, up to five devices. I have it on all my computers, on my on my uh, cell phones. NordVPN is also a very good one. Now, installing a VPN is very simple. You just go to the sign-up page, you download the client app to your device, and they, they've got client apps for Windows, Macs, Linux, iPhone, Android, and uh, create your account, and bingo, you're ready to go. Now, if you're really worried about being tracked, because people could possibly track you if, uh, say, if your VPN server were in the United States and subject to search uh, and other things, uh, and you really want to make it very difficult to, to uh, search you, you could use the Tor router, or that's the, uh, the uh, T-O-R stands for the onion router. What does the onion stand for? <laughs> the onion, it because what it is, since you're going from multiple sites, in order to track you down, they have to peel off many layers of the uh, onion to, to get to your IP address. Okay. I thought it <laughs> so was just you're, because so it you're, stinks. It's like you're hidden within an onion. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. That's clever. And each level that you're going, you're, you're going to another server, which you're adding another level to the onion. So the Tor, what the Tor server does, it, uh, it, it typically goes through three different proxy servers that are randomly selected. So it'll go to one and be a random selection of the second one, a random selection of the third one, then the third one will go back to the baby product site. So if, if they want to track you down, maybe they'll know that somebody went to that last one, but they won't know where you were, and it's very hard to track back through the Tor network to, 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 to get to you. Now, uh, and so the Tor network was really, was really designed by the US government. There was a guy at, uh, at Naval Research Lab that created it, and they, they created the Tor network 
and the Onion Router so that dissidents in countries could actually uh, surf the web and be anonymous. So that was really set up to, you know, to to help uh, people in, in in countries that were tracking the Nazi, you know, repressive countries. But then it got to be used for everything. So the Tor network is used to get to the dark web and all the stuff that you all the illegal stuff you can buy like drugs and all kinds of stuff on the dark web, use the Tor network to get there. So it, it ended up having a whole other life of its own. Now, just as a side note, what, what, what criminals really didn't, uh, didn't know about was that, was that, as you might expect, the, the government has a back door in the Tor network. And so some of these criminals were doing all this nefarious activity, and bingo, they got caught. So it's not quite as anonymous as you might uh, as you might think you can if you want to download if, if you want to try that out it's kind of fun to try that you can go to torproject.org t-o-r project.org you can download the tor router and you can be an anonymous browser you know in 10 minutes so have fun with that we got an email from peter in fairfax dear tech doc i recently started a new job, and the IT folks said I can connect my personal laptop to their network, but only if it has something called secure boot enabled. I don't even know what that is. Can you tell me how to figure out whether my computer is operating with secure boot? And if it, and oh, by the way, my computer is, has Windows 10 on it. Peter in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, Peter, secure boot is a setting on your PC's BIOS in UEFI. That's the Unified Expensable Firmware Interface. That's basically the, the chip that allows the operating system to communicate with the hardware. There's a BIOS, Basic Input Output System, and they upgraded the BIOS, and now they call it UEFI, Unified Expensable Firmware Interface. So it's a firmware interface. It connects the software to the hardware. So it's a firmware interface. And it basically instructs the machine to boot only Secure Boot instructs the BIOS to boot only if Windows and its related boot software is in a is trusted by the computer manufacturer. So they want to make certain that the hardware has not been corrupted. So the purpose of Secure Boot is to prevent things like root kit, root kits, or other type of malicious software from infecting and taking over a machine before it even has a chance to boot up in Windows. Now to check to see if Secure Boot is enabled. You can use uh, you can use a uh, sort of an information MS Info program MS Info program. So you click the start button and there will be a little little search uh, window there and type MS Info MS Info and press enter. You now see the system information page. Now look on the right side. Look under look for a line called BIOS mode and check to make sure that it says UEFI. That means your BIOS is operating in the USEI state, Unified Expensable Firmware Interface. And it probably will be UEFI since you're Windows 10. Also in the right pine, right line, there will be another line called Secure Boot State. Uh, go down and look at that. If the Secure Boot State is on, uh, then it means your laptop is operating the Secure Boot. If it says off, then it isn't. If Secure Boot is not selected, you can actually select it. But you, what you have to do, you've, you've got to reconfigure the BIOS. So uh, you want to boot up in a mode where you can modify the BIOS. So what you want to do, 
go to the start menu again, then uh, and then select update and security. That'll be off the drop down menu. Then select recovery from the left menu, and then collect restart. And uh, now under and then collect select advanced restart. You click restart and then you'll select advanced restart. And then you'll click troubleshoot. And then you'll click on advanced options. And then you'll click on UEFI firmware settings. You're going to, we're walking down to get you to the right point. This will all, by the way, be posted to the website. Uh, and you can look at the show outline. And then click restart. And, when, and you'll restart in a, in a state where you can basically turn a secure boot on. It's very easy. Just go in there. When you see secure boot, just click on. And then reboot, and then you're good to go. So this is all important for a reason, because uh, there are, uh, like you said, rootkits. There are there is malware out there that can actually start up your computer even when it's down, right? It can start up your computer and invade it. That's right. And once the thing is, once they go in there and uh, it, they could actually when when the when the system is 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 is, up, is booting up through BIOS. If that part of your computer is infected, then the malware is installed right along with the BIOS, right along the time that, that your that the BIOS is functioning. So by the time that Windows comes along, the malware is act, Windows thinks the malware is part of the hardware, mm -hmm. so they don't detect any malware. Yeah, and so this is designed to make certain that there can be no malware installed before your Windows operating system is loaded. And there was quite a bit of that out there. And so this was designed to do that. So, you know, uh, Secure Boot's been around for a while and uh, it, it works really well. All the, I don't know whether Windows would even boot up without, without Secure Boot, but uh, I haven't really tested that. We got, we got an email from uh, Craig in Oakton. Dear Tech Talk, I got a laptop that was provided by my employer for business use. I got a question about using it at home for personal use. I take it home every night. I was wondering if I could use Chrome in the incognito mode to present the IT guys from finding out about which websites I visit. The higher-ups are all of a different political persuasion, and I'd, they'd be upset if they knew about some of the websites I visit. I just don't want to get in trouble for something like this. Thanks in advance, Craig and Oakton. Well, Craig, the incognito mode will present the browser from storing your browser history. Uh, and so they can't look at your browser and see where you've been. But since this is a company laptop, there's a good chance that your company IT department has installed software that tracks your every move. So even if it's not stored in the, um, in the history of your browser, they may still track it in real time. What's more, even when you use incognito mode on your machine, it will still store bits and pieces of data that can be used by the security pro to figure it out because uh, they, they don't totally remove everything. And they, uh, they can actually look at the, imp the imprint in your RAM and find stuff. So my advice would be refrain from using your computer, laptop while visiting unauthorized sites. Which also is probably a statement you signed, by the way, when they gave you the laptop. So <laughs> you yeah, just do, that's right. do what you promised to do. <laughs> now, now, the reason that, that they say don't visit unauthorized sites, that they're not really worried about your political party. They're, they're worried about you visiting a site where malware would be installed on the computer. So they want you to only go safe sites because they don't want to go to a, a site that's going to that's going to put a script on your computer and infect it. Because uh, if it gets onto your computer and your computer's on their network, 
it makes their network vulnerable. So it's really a, a broader issue than just tracking what you're doing. They don't, they don't want malware. And usually the nefarious sites are the ones that load the malware on it. So most companies take security of their IT assets very seriously, and, and actually employees can get fired for violating this rule because it affects the security of the overall system. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Yes, indeed, we will. And uh, next, we're going to get to our profiles in IT on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Today we're going to feature David Bazuki. And we know how to pronounce this. We know how to pronounce this, Doc, because it's it's spelled funny. It's B-A-S-Z-U-C-K-I. But we know how to pronounce it because we have a very easy way to remember. Just think of bubblegum. Bubblegum, bazooka, zooka, bubblegum, some gum. <laughs> there you go, bazooka, there. except he's bazooki. Bazooki, yeah. So David uh, Bazuki is an entrepreneur and an engineer best known as co-founder and CEO of Roblox, R-O-B-L-O-X Corporation. Bazuki was born January 20, 1963 in Canada, but actually he moved to the U.S. He attended Eden Prairie High School in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and he was captain of the high school TV quiz team. And I suspect, you know, his parents thought Canada was too cold, so they moved down south to, you know, yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota, yeah, yeah, kind of warm up. That's right. <laughs> I mean, in 2003, he had uh, his own radio talk show, KSCO Radio Santa Cruz. I guess it, I guess they moved even further south. <laughs> yeah, he did anyway, yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, in 1985, uh, Bazuki uh, received a BS in engineering computer science from Stanford University. I mean, he'd been accepted as part of the General Motors Scholar Program, so he probably got some kind of scholarship. 
Now, after he got out of, uh, you know, around the, while he was in school, uh, after he got out of school, actually, he and his brother began working around on simulations. And they created a simulation called interactive physics that enabled the creation of two-dimensional physics experiments. You like, if you've ever seen these air tables and you've got, you hit one, uh, you know, one hockey puck against another and it, one goes in one direction like a pool ball and the other goes the other direction. And then you can calculate using Newton's laws of physics how those hockey pucks are going to move around the table. So they created a simulation that took into account all of the Newton's laws of physics to simulate two-dimensional physics experiments. And, uh, and they sold this software to high schools and they concluded in their, uh, in their physics class. Now, in 1989, he and his, David uh, founded a company called Knowledge Resolution with his brother, and it allowed users to create physics experiments on their own. So, so they set up the tools so you could create your own physics, so you could make your own, you know, air table experiment, or you could design your own pendulum, and you could put, you could have a mass on the pendulum, the length of the pendulum, and then you could, and then you could measure the, uh, you know, the the um, oscillation, the, the period of the oscillation and the amplitude. And, and, they, and they would build into that all the laws of physics, Newton's laws of physics. They would include friction. They would include air resistance, all of that. And people would design their own experiments to try to learn physics. Now, what they observed when the students had all these uh, primitives that follow the laws of physics, they started making like little cars uh, and they would make buildings, and then they would start crashing the cars into the buildings to see how the building would fall down. And they noticed that the students started playing with this and creating their own experiments to see what would happen. And that was uh, something that sparked their whole idea in, in terms of user-generated content. Uh, they, uh, in the early 90s, they designed mechanical software called a working model. Now, it provided a set of mechanical components such as springs, ropes, motors that could be used to create three-dimensional physics simulations. So they were getting more and more uh, sophisticated in terms of the primitives and creating these experiments. Now they were in three-dimensional space and they were building that up. Now what happened was that company was, uh, was basically uh, purchased Knowledge Resolu Revolu uh, Res uh, Revolution was purchased that included their uh, all their simulation tools by MSC Software. That's a company based in California, and they and they basically made simulation software for education. And this was like right in their bailiwick. And they uh, they then hired Bazuki to be um, to be uh, vice president and general manager of MSC Software, and he was there. From 2000, they bought the uh, company in 2000. He stayed until 2002. He eventually left the company to set up his own angel investing firm, uh, Bazuki and Associates. I don't really have this in the notes here. They do you remember they uh, uh, the 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 site Friendster, uh, Andrew? No, they, I don't. What they was invested that? in Friendster. This was this was a a site that was there before MySpace and before Facebook. Uh -huh. social media sites. So they invested in Friendster and then MySpace came along and started taking off. And then somebody uh, offered, uh, could have been it could have been MySpace or I can't remember who, offered $30 million to buy Friendster. 
And uh, Bazooki turned it down. And then eventually MySpace, MySpace took off, Facebook took off, and, they, and, and, and Friendster just died. Oh, so, he never, so time, he never made the money off that. He could have, He yeah. never made the money off, off the Friendster. And that, that at the time was viewed as one of the biggest mistakes in Silicon Valley. He was infamous for not oh, selling ha Friendster. Having said that, he's recovered well financially. We, we should note that right away. Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, he decided to get out. He decided not to spend his time in the angel business after the Friendster thing. So in 2004, he began working on Dino Blocks. This was basically a continuation of what he had done with Working Model, where he was making using primitives to make objects that would follow the laws of physics. So they started making Dino Blocks, and he and his, and uh, and they renamed it after a while. Roblox. They, they ended up naming it Roblox, renamed it Roblox. And that is a what they call a portmanteau or a combination of two words, yes. robots and blocks. So you combine Roblox, robots and blocks and you get Roblox. You know what I found out? I was looking up portmanteau and it's, it itself is a portmanteau of two French words, porte manteau, so to carry a coat. But when, when this word came into English, it was a time when a portmanteau meant uh, a luggage with two equal compartments in it. So that's how oh. it became a synonym or a word that we used to describe words that are kind of smushed together from uh, from two words. Like even podcast, you know, um, or, uh, is, is, is a is a, a broadcast. Uh, no, let me see. Vodcast, let's say, is a video podcast. That's a that's a good portmanteau. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I had no idea. We're portmen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, so they start working on dino blocks, uh, and that, of course, an early uh, prototype of Roblox. And uh, um, and they they launched a website for Roblox in 2006. Now, Roblox was an interesting game. Back, if you remember, back in 2003, Second Life had been formed, and users could go in there and they could create content in an environment. They could buy real estate, create a house, create a store, create a beach create a nightclub. And, um, and so he sort of knew that this user-created uh, material was, was attractive. Uh, and he also knew from his, of his experiments on the high school physics simulations that students really like to make their own stuff. So he, he wanted to put the laws of physics into an environment where people could, could make their own environment. And so Roblox allowed players to create their own games using the proprietary engine that, that embedded the laws of physics. And you do that using uh, Roblox Studio. Uh, and then you can, you can build your own environment, you can build a game, and other people can play it. So to tell you, I mean, when, when Roblox took off in the beginning, it was every, all the kids that were on it were under 13. It was just basically for young kids. And then like uh, Second Life was for older people. I didn't really know much about Roblox, to tell you the truth, even though it, even though it's got huge following. Maybe, maybe and, that's uh, because you and I are both 13 years old several times over, Doc. Yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> that's possible. Right. But, <laughs> but I can tell you now, I am now a user. I, I oh, well, there you a, go. I now have an account in Roblox. Oh, you're young there. at heart, I've Doc. i got my own space. I started building my own game this morning. And you must love the whole physics bit of it, too, because that's your doctorate and that's your background. And I and, do. I, I love the fact that, so like if, on Roblox, if, if you take a rock and you drop it, it will fall. You don't have to program it uh -huh. because there's gravity. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and if you put, you know, if you if you stack up law, if you stack up, you know, logs or something, they'll they'll fall down according to the laws of physics, and all that's built into the to the engine. And so, so it was basically a better technology than Second Life, I, I think, is what happened. Now, Roblox didn't. Did, Second Life in the beginning, they were everything. They they just they dominated. But by around 2008, 2009, Second Life had plateaued out at only a million users total, and then maybe 200,000 on at any one time. And uh, that's about the time when Roblox took off. I mean, Roblox is now up to 160 million users and uh, 41 million users at any one time. And, you know, Second Life never got past a million. And so obviously they created something that was interesting, certainly for 13-year-olds. And, uh, and so... It allowed students to create their own uh, their own their own games. So uh, and it has it actually its own uh, it, it has its own programming language. So uh, like this morning, I started creating my own game. So when, as soon as you get an, a, a, an account, you get a space. So let's say it's Doc's place. So you go to Doc's place, you, I go in the door at Doc's place, and I've got a whole environment there that's sort of been already preset for me. And then I can drag more components into it. I can drag things into it. I can modify the texture. I could, I could create a game where, uh, where I put two stones together and I jump over the stones, and then three stones, I jump over that. So you sort of play around. So I'm at the point now of just dropping and dragging around to create a game. Now, um, if I want to get a more sophisticated game that had scoring and that had levels, you have to use a programming language. They have their own programming language called Lua. And uh, so what, what Roblox does is interesting. It gets kids in there creating games without programming. That's and then they get cool. interested yeah. and it hooks them. It hooks them into, into learning programming. And Roblox has received all kinds of awards for teaching more kids to program than any other software program. I mean, they, I mean he's got... You know, he's got 20 million people creating games there. And it's really quite amazing. And I mean, I was in in 10 minutes and working on my working on my working on my own game. Now, the uh, the programming language Lua is object oriented programming language, and it, it works really well. Now, Roblox users, they create their own virtual worlds, design their own avatars. I went in there, picked out my avatar and you've got free avatars and you've got paid. Av I picked a free ad avatar. And my space is my game, which I could get. And then all I do, I just register and bingo, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. But now, now, is there, it's like Second Life, though, that's one big universe that you enter. Is this is like 20 million different universes? Is each is each person's space a separate game that you have to access separately? Or yeah, how, so how each, each person's space is another game. Mm -hmm. And there are 20 million games. So when you get in there, there will be some games that I could pick. And you'll see them all listed there, sort of. Like, like there's one game, this guy has 10 million users in his game. He makes $50,000 a month and fees, and he's like 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just created a game that was very compelling. He's got a lot of users. There was one, there was one guy created, uh, you know, he, he created his game. He made enough money to pay for his college education. He... Instead of going to the dorm, he bought a $150,000 house in the university town and lived in his own house. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and so the, uh, the, the whole point of uh, Roblox 
is to create an environment where the users can create their own game. And so, but even in uh, in Second Life, you jump from one location to another. So there might be a, a, a so you have a map, but if you want to go from one part of the map to another, you don't like get in a car and drive there. You just teleport there. Okay. So it's really separate entities, even in Second Life, but they make it look like it's on one big map. But how could you possibly browse 20 million different games? I mean, it's like, how's that even possible? How do, how, uh, what does it look like when you see it? You, I mean, you, so you told me like here's the most popular ones, but after that, I mean, did, you can't possibly every, list them all. Or how? Everybody picks their icon, uh -huh. and then what? What Roblox does, they'll feature the new ones. Uh huh. And then what? 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 What actually? I. I. It's just like any social media. You'll 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 create your space, your game. You go to somebody else's game. And you meet people there. It's a social platform. The idea is to meet people. It's the sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, David's idea is that you get to know people when you work together, you do things together. So you go to the other game and you, and you work with people. And David is focuses on civil discourse, talking to people, getting to know people. And uh, so the idea is you, you meet people and then you invite them to your space. You go out and you market it. You know, you do guerrilla marketing. <laughs> You go to the other games and try to market your your game. Oh wow! And, okay. And and so uh, that would be one way. To, so it's I mean it's just like in the real world. Suppose you you, you start a store, uh, and there are like a million stores. How do you get people to go to your store? Now now you could advertise. I, I suppose there's a way to advertise. You can probably pay for your position in the listing, but I'm thinking social media is a way to go for these these 13 year old kids. So they probably get on there and. Uh, and it's very social. So these 13-year-old kids were, were going on to Roblox together and doing stuff together. Mm -hmm. So they would go around from one game to another and play it together. And then you, you've got your own group that, that would come and look at your game. And then you would hope that they would say, hey, this game is pretty good. So you, 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 you try to build it up. So they, it, 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 gives, it gives you a chance. So they, they, the revenue... You can have like a one-time purchase, which would be like a game pass. So you could set up your game so that for, for somebody to play the first time, they, they pay and they get a game pass and they can come back forever after that free. Or you could, you could have a micro transaction where they have to pay every time. You can set that up anywhere you want. Uh, these guys can also make avatar costumes. They can make other things that they sell and they can make money. Now, Anything that's sold, anything a developer sells on a Roblox, he keeps 18%, and then Roblox gets the rest. So that so that's how Roblox makes their money. They don't they don't make their money with advertising. They don't make their money selling your data. They make they make money when their users make money. And uh, and David's objective is to increase that percentage. He wants it higher. He's very open. I went to his uh, annual meeting. He's very open with the developers. He says, look, I, I want to give you guys more, uh, but he's got to support all this back-end development, all the servers. There's a lot of cost. I mean, the server space on this is enormous. So I was thinking this this is a high-tax world, Doc. That's an 82% tax <laughs> Yeah, it's income. a high-tax world, but these, these, these guys still make money. He, he wants to give them more. And, he does, uh, yeah. And so... And so in, in 2016, Roblox uh, came, they, they supported uh, the uh, Ocular Rift virtual VR, uh, VR goggles. Uh, at that time, already on Roblox, there were 10 million 3D games. Now, the majority of the games on Roblox are developed by miners. 
I'm in the minority, of course. Yes. There are totally of 20 million games a year produced. Yeah. And uh, and during uh, it grew rapidly in the second half of 2010, about the time that Second Life was pooping out, and it accelerated. It doubled its users during COVID. Yeah. And uh, now you you can buy things on Roblox. What 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 do you think of Roblox? What do you think the the money is called, Andrew? Oh, let's see, Sears. Uh, why does Sears come to mind? Oh, Robux. Yeah. This is what I'm Robux. thinking. Robux. That is right. That is the money on Roblox. It's Robux. R-O-B-U-X. Yeah. And, uh, now, as of August 2020, there were 164 million active users. And uh, and almost all of the play was being done by kids under 16. Now, he believes that civil discourse is important. One of his eight tenets of a metaverse is that, is that there's civility. He believes that people can disagree but not be disagreeable. And he wants to create an environment where, a healthy environment, where when you go online in the Roblox environment, you feel good about yourself. So all of this stuff that you see on Facebook with the Facebook feed is he's trying to really combat. And what he has since he's got young kids on there, his moderators are sort of like teachers where they're teaching the kids how to communicate in a civil way. How to disagree without being disagreeable. I, I think it's just a great adventure. And I think he's really on to something here. So he's teaching kids, teaching teenagers, even teaching parents and caregivers the skills that it takes to create a positive online environment. Now, Bazooki owns 13% stake in Roblox, and it's worth over $40 billion. So he's currently worth about $4.2 billion. So so the mistake that he made of not selling Friendster for $30 million, yeah, that's in the rearview mirror yeah, for Yeah, him. really. He, um, he's listed, he was listed, he went public, listed on the New York Stock Exchange in March of 2021. He and his wife set up a philanthropic organization. He got the Goldman Sachs Most Intriguing Entrepreneur Award in 2017. Now, he loves off-road biking. He just loves that bike. Whenever he's getting stressed out, he just goes off the road and rides. He said it helps him unwind and think clearly. He lives in San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and their four children. So there you go. All you wanted to know about Frank Bazuki and Hello, Roblox. David. David Bazuki. Let's David, David Bazuki. David Bazuki. Oh yeah, David <laughs> yeah. Bazuki and Roblox. Thank you. <laughs> yes, indeedy. And uh, this must. This is the song he must be singing every morning. Yeah, looking, looking California, feeling Minnesota. That's our boy, uh, raised in uh, Minnesota, living in the San Francisco Bay Area. David Bazuki, we've got more to say about him as we rejoin Doc for his observations from the Faculty Lounge on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. 
Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about the Roblox metaverse. Roblox CEO Dave Bazuki wanted a metaverse, and he wanted his users to inhabit it. He wants an online place where we can work and play and entertain ourselves. He's dreamed of it for a long time, so have his followers. Uh, Because he has focused on this for so many years, he's one of the most credible candidates for building the metaverse. His metaverse contains eight elements. Identity. You create your online identity with an avatar, and it's unique to you. Friends, you're able to meet in the environment, make friends just like you do at school or at work or, or at Starbucks and talk and enjoy yourself. It's immersive. You feel like you are within the space. It's low friction. Now, this is the technology behind it. Low friction means it's easy to do things like if a teacher, it's well, low friction, it's easy to create your first game like I did in 10 minutes. Low friction means the technology is very adaptive, responsive uh, to the user. Or another example would be, like on Roblox, they've got one game as you walk around uh, ancient Rome. That's one of the games. So a teacher could take her entire Roblox class into Roblox. They could all meet in the teacher's gaming area. Collect That would be like the home room. And then they could transport themselves together to Rome And then with their teacher, the teacher in the class could walk around ancient Rome and she could talk about all these buildings. Yeah, but Doc, I just thought of something. Can't some some of those kids wander off on their own? You'll never find them again in ancient Rome. They could wander (laughs) off on their own. And there'll be other people in ancient Rome walking around. (laughs) You know, it's not only going to be that teacher's class. So it's going to be like, you know, you go to a a monument and there's... Yeah, well, that's that's very real life. Yeah. So they're going to be tour guides there at ancient Rome. But low friction means that they can all jump to Rome easily. It's not complicated. They just yes. they transport to Rome and they're there. Low, low, uh, low friction. And uh, it needs to have variety, which means there's got to be a lot of stuff that you can do. Just not, just not something that say Mark Zuckerberg does. It's just a lot of. They have 20 million games active on there. So there's a lot of stuff to look at. And they're uh, like maybe ancient Rome is not going to be as popular as the game where the guy makes 50,000 a month. But there are going to be a lot of people that are interested in ancient Rome, like educators. And so and so but there has to be variety. It's got to be anywhere where you can do it anywhere. You can do it from your cell phone, your desktop, and you can you, you can log on from anywhere and you can be part of it. 
There has to be a built-in economy where you can buy and sell. People can make money, so it's self-sustainable. Um, David's goal is so that the developers can make a living on Roblox. Uh, they make enough money there. He's trying to sell more and more of the money. At the last annual conference, he just increased the percentage that the developers get. And he's really transparent on where the money goes, and he's trying to get more and more to them. And uh, finally, and this is, David talks about this a lot, civility. He is not happy with how social media has destroyed civility, where we cannot disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah, in fact, he, he has something to say about to... that. Yeah, I've got a little quote from him uh, from a okay. Games Beat okay. podcast. This is Dave Bazuki on the topic of civility. Really, this is going to happen. And so for us, the challenges are, are really being good shepherds, uh, having corporate values around safety and civility that we can usher this in in a way that benefits everyone, that I think rather than pulling people apart, um, lets people meet people from other parts of the world and understand that uh, similarities. So, you know, we think it's a big responsibility, but on top of a trend that is is going to happen. So is going to happen, meaning the metaverse is coming. It's going to be Zuckerberg or his or somebody else's. But this idea is uh, is definitely coming our way. He is. I, I you know, he. He actually, this is the first time I felt some kind of hopeful sign for the metaverse, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking if, we, if, if the metaverse is just a three-dimensional version of Facebook, I don't want any part of it. But I think he is on to something here. And, and, and this isn't just something that he's just peppered on at the end. This has been a theme of his from the very, very beginning. And his moderators are like teachers. I mean, he's got a different different approach, like instead of banning somebody who uses the wrong word, he teaches them mm -hmm. how to be civil. I, I just think it's so great. Uh, now, Bazuki's a big fan of getting his own people to do the work in building the metaverse. He said, I don't know what it's going to be like, but, but my users are going to build something that's really good. And it includes traditional play, social experiences. You just hang out with people. So it's, it's, it's a combination like a Fortnite, which is purely gaming, and Second Life, where you just hang out with people. And he wants to make that uh, very easy to do. Uh, he wants to be able to make it you know, easy enough that you could have a birthday party there. You could actually graduate from high school there. He said his goal is, is to be able to have a rock concert with 50,000 people there cheering. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. And so, uh, and it's, uh, it's realistic with the laws of physics. Uh, I mean, air has friction They people are designing airplanes that will fly uh, in Roblox because all the laws of physics are built in. Uh, and, uh, he's determined to make the metaverse a part of the positive experience. So I am really interested to see what, uh, what David is going to do with this. David Bazuki is going to do with this because I'm quite encouraged by that. And, he's, and I think he can take these young kids and train them, train them to be civil and also train them to be computer programmers with this programming language. Meanwhile, Mark Zuckerberg is moving ahead with his metaverse. What's going on with that, Doc? Yeah, How's it he's, going? he's rolling out his metaverse in the U.S. and Canada. <clears throat> it's, uh, they're doing it there for the virtual plat their, their VR platform, what they call the, the Quest headset. Uh, and they call their metaverse Horizon Worlds. And it's grown monthly. It's, its monthly user base is growing. 
And now he's got 300,000 people in his metaverse um, compared to the 146 million that are in Roblox. But it's been, it's been, since he launched it, it's gone up a factor of 10. Now, <clears throat> before December, before the December rollout, it was a private beta for creators to test world-building tools. Now, it's similar to how the gaming platform Roblox works or Microsoft Minecraft works. Horizons lets people build custom environments to hang out and play games with legless avatars. He was very specific at that. So Mark's metaverse, you don't have legs. Wow. Uh, you know, that's a preemptive uh, effort to be certain that there's nothing sexual on his in his metaverse. Mm -hmm. He announced uh, this week that there are that there are 10,000 separate worlds that have been built in the Horizon worlds to date. So each environment that a user, instead of me called it a game, he calls it a world. Uh, he hasn't disclosed how many Quest headsets have been sold because you can't play without a Quest headset. But, uh, you know, some third party people are saying that maybe 10 million have been sold to date. Uh, he's hoping that he can, uh, he can uh, build this up to the Facebook follow on. But I'll tell you one thing, I, I think it's all going to be based on his underlying motivation on the metaverse. Is it, the, is it going to be focusing on civility and making a positive environment? Or is it just going to be focused on Mark Zuckerberg? Making and and there's money? a distinction the here, very strong distinction between people who create the worlds and then people who use them. Uh, you, on Roblox, everybody's a creator. Yeah. Or can be. Whereas on this one, he has a, a huge Facebook group for it, you know, but 10,000 separate worlds being, you know, 20,000 members in that Facebook group. But mm -hmm. still, that's just to build the worlds. And then other, the rest of us just join whatever is already there and have to kind of acclimate ourselves to the, not build our own world. We have to acclimate ourselves to the options that are available to us. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is going to be like, he's, he's going to be a central command control, his environment, his, yeah. his universe. And, uh, and I don't know if it's, uh, so Mark Zuckerberg's universe, it's all based on virtual reality where it, it looks, everything looks, it looks like you're in the space. You've got this 3d rendering and you're there. It's not really, it doesn't have integrated into it. These laws of physics, you see. So it's, it's not quite as sophisticated as Roblox. So uh, you might have a, a 3D rendering of the room, but if the, the ashtray falls off the table, it <laughs> yeah. may not fall. It, you know, that's a complication. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, the Roblox has this sophisticated physics engine as its underpinnings, which I think is going to make it a more superior a superior uh, environment. And I think that's going to be a real competitive edge. Same and more fun, you know, honestly, just more fun to work with, right? I mean, yeah. like you just said, you don't have to program how fast the ashtray is going to fall. It'll fall the way they fall in real life. That's right. And yeah. It'll make a noise when it hits. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, if you, and if you want to design a glider, you design the wings and you throw it out. If, if the wings have the right shape, it will fly in Roblox. Uh -huh. Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, in the, if you're just in visual graphics and they say that in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, you just program it like a cartoon to move, but it doesn't actually physically have to have the ability to fly. So there is a big difference between there. So I think the underlying technology for Roblox is actually better because of the physics stuff. But but what I like the most is his focus on civility. 
I just did not expect to see that coming out of Silicon Valley. So I'm really, really quite happy with that. Yeah. Okay, let's, we got just enough time here to talk we about do. this AirTag stalking problem. Yes. Which I, which I talked about last week. Now, AirTags, Apple AirTags are a small key ring device that attach to your bag or keys to help you find them if they go missing. I've got one of them on my keys, by the way. Uh-huh. Because if I, if sometimes I can't find my car keys. Now I, I, can, I, I can find them because i got an AirTag hooked to them. Now, now we need was, to start attaching them to reading glasses, too, because this happens a lot to people where they can't find their reading yeah. glasses in the house. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's, they, they, they launched it in 2020. It's, uh, it's, it's very similar to Tile, uh, which, which was a tracking device. It was introduced back in 2015. So the, you know, the idea is that uh, uh, when you're close to it using either a Bluetooth or uh, you you can uh, you, you can detect it and you can narrow a point to where it is. Or if you use the ultra wideband uh, capacity of an of an iPhone, for instance, you, you can actually quite it'll actually fall. You can walk through the house and it'll be it'll always point at the AirTag. Now, if it, if you leave like if I'd leave my uh, leave my AirTag at uh, at the restaurant and I was riding with somebody else, but I left my keys there and I said I wonder where they are. If there's another iPhone near my AirTag at the restaurant, it will detect the AirTag and forward the information to me, and I'll get the GPS location of the AirTag. Is that without the other user knowing it? The other phone owner know, doesn't no, have an idea? It. It's just, it just uses part of their bandwidth and sends it. But have you seen in real life, I mean, it's not beeping or anything like, you know, unlike some other devices that, you know, you, you, you press a button and, and then the thing beeps or something like that. How do you – so it has that kind of precision when you're, say, walking around your house that you can actually find – you can you know which way to head. Yeah. It's, it's got very it, – yeah, with the ultra-wide band uh, feature of the, of the new iPhone, uh, you, you've got this, you know, you know near-field detection stuff. Yeah, you've got you, – you can actually walk around and it, you, it will point at it. Now, I can make the AirTag beep too. I, I can oh, say can. make a sound, and it makes this very light, small sound. Oh, that's useful then. So, so, so the it, final it, analysis is pointing at the uh, dresser, and you figure out in which drawer it's in. Yeah. Now, now the problem is, I mean, so the, this here were the cases. Okay, so some some model was at a bar in New York. Uh, she had an iPhone, and this stalker put an AirTag in her pocket, and uh, and he tracked her home, and so that that was a problem, and so. There we go. So listen, um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't finish the whole story, but Apple's trying to solve the stocking problem. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And check out our programs on the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our nursing programs, medical assisting programs, cybersecurity programs, networking programs, software engineering programs, Health, uh, healthcare programs, culinary arts programs, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. <laughs>